0: This morning, man, I'm just glad that you're here today. It's, it is Palm Sunday, right? It begins the Easter season. And I love the Easter season. This begins one of the most significant, important weeks out of the entire Christian calendar. And I don't mean that it's the opening of Chick-fil-A, you know, that's not what I'm talking about, or a new Carrie Job concert. No, I'm talking about Easter. It's a massively important time. It's a massively important week that begins today, that begins right now. We look forward to this coming Friday when we will spend uh, an hour here at 7 p.m. thinking about and learning about and re- remembering the cross. I encourage you, be here. Uh, Good Friday night, 7 o'clock from 7 to 8. Uh, we're going to have a worship time. We're going to have a time again where we look at the cross and, and just reflect on what God has done for us through Jesus in the, in, in the cross. It's, it'll be a, a great, great day. Please, please don't miss that. Of course, then, we have uh, the egg hunt on Saturday, and then the grand finale, the big, the big dog, the Super Bowl of Sundays, which is Easter Sunday. And we're talking about on Easter, uh, we're gonna talk about how Jesus Christ paid the price and we keep the change. You filthy animal. No, I'm just kidding. I, I had to say that in there. But, but no, he, he paid the price. We get to keep the change. Now, some of you guys, like, about half of you got that. The other half today are like, what are you talking about? Man, who is this guy? But, but anyway, if you've seen a Home Alone, you know, talking about this morning. But, but today begins this whole week. It's an important week. It's a week that, that, is, that, that is, ca- is caught off or started off by, by Palm Sunday. Now, I'll be honest, when I was a kid, I didn't get Palm Sunday real well. I just didn't. I remember coming home from church on Palm Sunday, and I'd be carrying around a branch, much like this one that Robbie brought me this morning. I appreciate that. This is a, a palm frond. And when I was a kid, we, we made these in, in kids' church or, or, or Sunday school or whatever. I'd, I'd bring these home, but I didn't really get what the big deal was. Anybody else with me in that? Now, I got, I got Christmas. That was, that was presents. But it was also Jesus came to the, to the world, right? You know, the, you know, the, the th- three wise men and such. I got that one. I got Easter because there was candy involved. But no, I got the stone was rolled away and he emerged. But I didn't really get Palm Sunday. That might be how five-year-old Jack felt About Palm Sunday as well, when one Palm Sunday he woke up with a sore throat and a fever. And so his mom and dad uh, decided it'd be best for him to stay home, and so he did. They left him with a babysitter and he stayed home. And they went to church on this Palm Sunday. When they came home, they were carrying in their hand palm fronds. And he's Jack was well, what happened? Mom and Dad, What, what happened? And so his dad said, Oh man, Jack, it was great. They took these and they held them over Jesus as he walked by in the triumphal entry and they laid him down on the ground as he walked as he came in on, on a donkey and Jack looked at him and he's this puzzled and excited and kind of sad grin on his face. He said, wouldn't you know it? The one day I don't go and he shows up. You know, I mean seriously, but you know, that's Palm Sunday. Now, I've grown up a little bit since then and I understand Palm Sunday a lot better now. I understand now that this begins again the week that changed the world. These next seven days are literally the most important seven days the world has ever seen. Believer or not, whether or not you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or whatever, you cannot underestimate the importance of these seven days of history. They're massive, they're, they're huge. And it starts off with, with Palm Sunday. It's a big deal. And so today, we're gonna walk through this. The Gospel spend a significant amount of time on, on, on what happens from Palm Sunday to the end of the week. In fact, the book of Mark spends a full 40%. And I said that right, 40% of the book of Mark takes place, covers what happens on this one week. That's big. Now, we're not covering all. Some of you guys are like, oh no, we're going to be here forever. No, we're not covering all of this today. We're going to talk about Palm Sunday. I want to direct your attention today to John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. It's really kind of what we're going to walk through today. But to get this, this whole thing today, we're going to have to do a little time travel. Now, when I say time travel, I think of one thing, right? I think of of a DeLorean. You know, if you're about my age, you're a little older or younger. You might think of this too, but I think of a DeLorean. I think of Michael J. Fox uh, driving at 88 miles an hour towards a clock tower, and then he disappears. He's off into the back, back into history, and he's gone. Wouldn't that be amazing? Think about where you would go if you could actually do this, actually time travel. Now, if you have one of those machines, stop holding out on me. Let me know about it. I don't want to steal your thing, but I just want to go back in time. That'd be pretty amazing. So we're going to do that today. However, of course, there's no real machine, so we're going to do the next best thing, and we're going to go back in time using a movie clip. It's going to take us back to what would have been going on during this time. When Jesus came to the earth, when Jesus came to the world, we have to understand the pressure cooker that the earth was in at this point. It was incredible. It was massive. If you were a Jew living at the first century times, you were under this kind of a pressure. It was incredible. I want to set it up a little bit today as we go here. Uh, this, Herod the Great was the king of Judea, which was the Jew, Jewish people, and he was quite evil. What's funny, though, is that Herod the Great's power was kind of fake. It was kind of a joke, to be honest with you. It was, was much like a fifth grader picking on a first grader on the school bus. That's really, really what it was. You know, and, of course, in that situation, if nobody else is around, that fifth grader has a pretty big measure of power, right? Until the 12th grade cousin gets on the bus and everything changes, right? Herod was like the fifth grader. The Jews were like the first grader. Now, the story gets juicy, though, is the 12th grade cousin is not a nice cousin. He's a jerk. The 12th grade cousin was, this, was, was the people, was the government of Rome. Herod was a pawn. Herod was just a, just a, an under an underhelper. He was, he was really a, a pawn in the hands of the Roman governments. If you were a Jew in the first century times, you were a second-class person. You would have been heavily taxed. You would have been heavily monitored. Every move, every thought, everything you were was monitored. Your, your festivals, your, your, your dinners, your meals, all of that came under the authority of, of Rome. Rome. And Rome didn't like you very much. Rome considered you to be kind of a nuisance in their, in their minds. And so that's the world in which we find that Jesus Christ came. Let's check out a scene here today from, uh, from a movie that shows us what it might have been like when Jesus stepped into the world. Go ahead and roll the, the tape there as you were. Your taxes. One half shekel for the temple, two shekels for Caesar. By order of King Herod. You cannot pay your tax and you have no more land to offer. The harvest will be strong a few months from now. Yes, we are not here for that harvest, are we? The agreement was for you to hand over one third of your land to satisfy your debt. If I could have the land for one more year, what do you bring? What do you bring in the hope I will grant your request? That's all I have. The girl, take her. I'm to take class. She will work the baby I'm going Pretty incredible, isn't it? It's hard for us as modern people to get really a full understanding of the pressure cooker that, that this world was at the time of Christ. This clip here comes a full 33 years before what we're going to walk through today, and the pressure cooker has only increased in pressure. Pressure. In those years, in those times, in those those seasons, that things have changed only slightly, now we find that Herod Antipas Antipas is now the Jewish ruler, and Pilate, the Roman governor, is, is the governor of the area. And there is corruption everywhere. There's corruption in the tax-collecting system. There's corruption in the government. There is corruption in the religious leaders, in the Pharisees. There's corruption everywhere, and the people are, are tired of it. The people are suffering, and there is the heart, and there is the air of, of revolution among the Jewish people. They're waiting for a moment when this can change, when all these things change. They suffered big time under this pressure. Let's read our text today. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. The next day, and this is a full six days before the crucifixion happened, the great crowd had come for the festival. Now the festival is an important thing right here. This festival they're talking about was was none other than the biggest festival of all. This This was Passover. Passover was the biggest moment in the Jewish calendar. And, and literally hundreds of thousands of Jews would have come into the, to the, the city of Jerusalem at this point, and the, the, the numbers would have swelled in the sea to many, many, many more than, the, than actually lived there. It was, it was an incredible time, and they were here to celebrate and to remember and commemorate something that happened many years before them, and that was the, the freedom of the Jewish people from an oppressive government, the Egyptians, Coincidence? I think not. This is not a coincidence that this happens at this moment. And so we continue the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches. Now palm branches are significant here. Palm branches had come to be known for the Roman people as a or as for the Jewish people as a symbol of hope that a Messiah would come and save them. So for years, they used palm branches as a sign, as a remembrance. It it started out as a very kind of under-the-radar thing so the Romans and the people around them wouldn't know what they're talking about. But they started to learn what what it was. This is the symbol that they were using as they laid these down in a few moments. Because what they did, they went out and they met Jesus saying, Hosanna! Which means, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now, they're shouting these words, Hosanna. Hosanna's become kind of a church word, right? Because, you know, we say Hosanna. You don't really say Hosanna, you know, in, in malls or in the streets or Walmart. You don't say, hey, Hosanna, you know, you saved me some money, right? You don't, you don't do that a whole lot. Maybe you do. You're really spiritual. Um, but, but for the most part, most of us don't talk like that. But Hosanna wasn't a, it wasn't a religious word. It was a word used to describe a, a, an emancipation of freedom to save us and release us now. So here the people, the Jewish people are shouting and yelling using this, the sign of this Messiah laying it down around him and saying, Hosanna, save us now. And then they quoted a scripture that is found in Psalm chapter 118, 25 to 26. What they said after Hosanna is not just some random things they said. This is actually, actually, this is part of, of, of Jewish history. And, and, and so they're saying, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord. We bless you. So they're shouting these things around Jesus as he comes in, and it's like a ticker tape parade. It's incredible. In Minnesota, we don't know those very well, unless you're about my age. You remember back to the Twins won the World Series, but but these can be exciting moments, right? There's loudness, there's people, there's shouting, there's excitement, there's all stuff happening. That's taking place in this moment. Hundreds of thousands of people are putting down palm branches and they're shouting and they're waving, and they're excited with what happens right here. You imagine the scene for a moment. It would have been incredible. Imagine being there. Imagine us going back in our DeLorean, 88 miles an hour, and finding ourselves right there on that street, watching this take place. It would have been incredible. You see them yelling these things. And this became known, of course, as the triumphal entry. Big, big, big moments. Now, we've got to pause here, though, for a minute. We've got to ask a question. What did they mean when they said, save us? It's an important question we have to ask, and the reason why it's an important question we have to ask is because not one week later, this same crowd of people is shouting a very different tune, aren't they? One week later, this crowd who now shouted, Hosanna, save us, went from that to shouting, crucify him. How in the world would they have gone from Hosanna, "Hosanna, save us, to crucify him, something happens in this week that is really important for us to consider and for us to think about. Its application is really very applicable to us in the year 2017. It's important for us because I think a lot of us might find ourselves in that same place if we don't think about what this meant today because it's important for us to know what things mean, isn't it? A crowd had no idea what save us actually meant. Man, I, when I was in college, I had some, some friends we went out to eat one time, and knowing what a phrase means is pretty important before you say it. I remember this one girl one time. we were eating out, and you know, as servers often do, came around and had said, Do you want super salad? Right? That's common lots of times that happens. And so, do you want super salad? And this girl said, Yes. So the server brings her out soup and salad. So what she does though is she says, "Well, I didn't order soup. I ordered super or salad." And the and we kind of at the moment, you know, she was, you know, you can imagine what kind of, you know, she was a little bit, a little bit off sometimes. And so I paused and I kind of laughed and I said, "Did you think they meant like super salad?" She goes, "Well, yeah, I was looking for a salad. The super salad." I said. You mean for twenty some years you have gone to restaurants and you thought they said super salad and she said well yeah and I said well you know it's soup or salad and so we explained to her that moment what what this actually meant and she was all red and believe me that little joke got lots of traction throughout the years as we continue to uh, you know be very kind and benevolent to her but the reality is is that I've done those things too I really have. You may remember back uh, year, back in the '80s, the song uh, "Tiny Dancer" came out by, by, by Elton John. If you know the song, you know where I'm going. I believed that the words were "Hold me closer, Tony Danza," right? Because I was a good kid of the '80s. Um, I, I did, and, and I, I watched Who's the Boss, and so it was kind of kind of troubling. But let's be honest, uh, you know, Elton John's a little bit off anyway, and so uh, you know, I thought that's what it meant. To the point where I had an argument one time with somebody that that's what he says. Now, this is before the Google and internet and all that kind of stuff, and so we didn't really have a way to look it up. And so, but I argued, no, he doesn't say, hold me closer, Tony Dancer. He says, hold me closer, Tony Danza. And that is important for us to understand what phrases mean, isn't it? I would say today that for the, for the most part, the people who yelled, save us now, if they found themselves, and the crowd at the end who yelled crucify him, probably didn't understand what that phrase actually meant. Why do we know this? Something goes terribly wrong on Friday. Why did Jesus find himself betrayed by one of his own disciples? Why was he arrested by the, the high priest guard? How was he accused by a, a coalition of religious leaders? How was these this religious leaders were crooked and the people knew that and they wanted freedom from them? How in the world were they able to convince this same crowd to turn around a few days later and yell, crucify him? It's important for us to think about today. See, many of them missed the entire point. What happened? You may not know this, but Jesus' triumphal entry was not the only processional in town on this day. On the other side of, of Jerusalem, at, at the West Gate, there's a very different sort of, of, of processional recorded by Roman and, and other scholars, history scholars of the time. It's also uh, been known, this was, this was Practice, common practice uh, for the Roman government to do this, but Pilate had ridden into town on the exact same moment, exact same time that Jesus did as well. You can imagine that processional. You can imagine the the the, the shining armor of the Roman soldiers. When Pilate came into town, he didn't come into town just riding around in you know in, in a little smart car, you know, and and just you know th- he made a. Sp- of the power and the authority of the Roman people. He rides into town with this with this, this spectacle of power, the the the, this, the, the brass uh, clinging in the sun, the, the leather and, and the, 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 the best the best weapons money could buy soldiers holding uh, holding onto swords were beat and were made with the hardest of steel there was archers who, had, who, had, who had, had straight, wonderful quality arrows that were dipped in poison with literally one touch of this arrow piercing your skin would kill you. That was the power and the authority of the Roman army. When they rode into town, they didn't just ride into town this little way. They came into town with pop and circumstance. There would have been a drummer drumming out the cadence. It was loud. It was, it was big. The Roman people paid people to come and cheer and shout for the leadership and shout, hail Caesar, hail, hail. That's what would happen in this moment. It's a big deal. Pontius Pilate would have come in, and I said Caesar, I meant Pilate, sorry, that's got myself a little bit away from there. But, but certainly Pilate entered the town to do one thing, to make a scene. He wanted people to know the power of the Roman government. It was the standard practice for him to be in town when there were, when there were Jewish festivals. To the Roman government, this was a foolish little thing. This is no big deal. This is like, come on, people. You really, you're going to remember this religious thing, you know, thousands of years before. To Rome, the, the absolutely godless, religiousless society who believed in these many gods but not the not the God, this was foolish stuff to them. It was big. It was no big deal, but they had to be there, and they allowed this to happen. But they wanted to make sure that those in attendance knew their authority and knew their power. They were aware of the origin of Passover. The, the leaders were aware of the fact that this Passover season was remembering the, the, the freedom of the people, the Jewish people, from an oppressive government. Rome knew that, and so Rome was there at this point. This was an air. This was an area where there was a lot of uprising, especially among the Jews. As you saw in the video, it, it's tense. Not long before this moment, just a, just a little bit before this, there is a, an uprising by the Jews in the city of Sephora. Sephora was five miles uh, by, by walk, five miles from Nazareth. And when the, up, the Jewish people uprose there in Sephora, the Roman government came in and they wiped this little town off the map. They killed every person. They burned every building. They ruined this town. Not only that... But in in addition, they went into Jerusalem and they killed almost 2,000 Jews in one day that had been just heard to be a part of this uprising in Sephora. There were others. And each one of these uprisings met the same fate. So now here we are. The day of the triumphal entry, Passover. Here we are in this season, this time. Here we are in this place where the people are oppressed. The people are struggling. They're persecuted. It's difficult. Here we are, and they're yelling and shouting, Hosanna, save us. Deliver us. You're our king. Let's continue. Verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Most historians and and, and theologians believe that this is what Jesus said as he walked into uh, the city. He said these words, and he is quoting from Zechariah 9, chapter 9, or chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. You can imagine the feeling of excitement as they now see Jesus Christ, could he be the one that brings us salvation, that brings us freedom from the oppression. He they continues Zechariah 9:16 says the Lord their God will save his people on that day. Could Jesus be the one that is here to come in and clean house? They saw him work. They saw Jesus heal the sick. They saw him stand up to the Pharisees and the leaders. They saw him stand up for the little guy. They saw what he did. He he stood against the establishment. They would follow him. They'd join his army and do whatever was needed. Suck, crucify, yelling and screaming, God, man, Hosanna, Hosanna. But yet, somehow, a week later, they would yell, Crucify him. Why? How? Well, I I believe that the reason why was because on Friday, as Jesus is bloodied, he's broken. He is looks nothing like the the triumphant Messiah that they saw come in on that morning of the triumphal entry. Then he's riding on a donkey, he's being hailed, he's being shouted, he's being he's being he's he's symbolizing a coming uprising against a very processional on the other side of town. They're excited, they're ready, they're, they're this is this is it's here, it's 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 the, the moment's now. But yet, a few days later, he is now sold denied, and he's beaten. What they saw on this Friday morning was they saw a, a bloodied has-been. They saw just another insurrectionist in Roman custody. They saw someone who was rejected by their leaders, who was, who was standing next to the infamous Barabbas. How is this crooked religious leaders able to stir the crowd like they did when, he, when they said these words in Mark 15, crucify him, they shouted. And Pilate asked, why? What crime has he committed? What's he done? He's one of your own. What's he really done? Is he nearly as bad as Barabbas? What's he done? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Why to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas. Barabbas, a well-known criminal, a snake, a, a, a snake in the grass who was known as this way. They'd, they'd rather have him and the one who just days before had shouted and yelled, Hosanna, he had just he flogged and then handed him over, to be crucified. How did it come to this? See, I think for us to understand how it came to this, we have to come back to the present time. See, if Jesus showed up today, if he was here. If none of this happened, but yet he came to the United States of America or whatever part of the world in the year 2017, he, he walked into the planet, there might be a similar reaction. Think about this for a minute. Jesus could end poverty. He could. Jesus could end wars. He could end famine. He could end all of these things in a minute. The word says that that the angels are subject to his word. He could wipe everything out and change the planet in one second. He has the power. He revealed that when Satan tempted him. He showed that he has that kind of power. He could do that. Further, he could end all stress, all struggle, all difficulty. He could take away our financial problems. He could take away our stress. He could take away our, our marital problems. He could take away our emotional conflict, our fear, all of it. In one step of finger, it could be gone. Yet, we know that's not how it works, is it? And yet we also know that many people on the, on the planet judge him based on this characteristic, right? If God is so good, then why doesn't he remove this? If God's so great, then why does he allow this? Or why does he allow that? Or why this or why that? You see, we know that today the same thing would happen in 2017 as it did in the year 33. See, even preachers preach us at times, don't we? We preach, man, come to Jesus and you'll have your best life now, Right? All you got to do is come to him. All you got to do is his simple little prayer and your life will be great. All problems are finished. Do these five simple steps to a better marriage or a better this or a better that. We hear those things in the church too, don't we? Right? See, this Easter season, this, 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 this Palm Sunday, I, I got to believe that there's more to the story than that. I'll tell you today this. My life is better because of Jesus. There is no question that my life is better because of Jesus. If it wasn't for Christ, if it wasn't for his changing in my life, I would be a frustrated, angry, bitter, who knows what, I know I'd be angry, frustrated, and bitter because I was those things before Jesus. And times 10, man, I will tell you, he has made my life better. But, did he come to the earth to give us a better life. See, I can't help but thinking, the crowd wanted Jesus to do something that Jesus didn't come to do. They wanted him to come and give them a better life. Here's the danger to that, church, is that seems really, really good and really close and really wonderful and flat out not why he came to the planet, right? He didn't come to give you a better life. He came for a simple reason. He came to save us, period. I illustrate as the band comes forward today with an illustration. I want you to think about this. I I researched this this week and found there's many stories like this. Imagine you walk up to a garbage can behind some place and you find there a baby laying there. You find this little baby crying and and helpless and and broken, and and who knows why he's there, but he's there. What would you do as a person, as as, as a good person? I know what you would do. I know how you are. You're great people. You'd scoop that baby up, and you would do whatever it takes to give that baby a better life, right? You'd do whatever it took. You'd scoop it up, and you would adopt it, or you would ensure it was adopted. You would scoop it up, and you would clothe that baby. You would feed that baby. You would give him a name. You'd give him a home, a family, and a purpose, where once he didn't have that, now he would. But here's the question today. Does that baby have the ability to have a better life? Well, the answer, of course, is no. No. The the, the better life comes in your benevolent decision to reach down into that little baby's life and change it forever. And I'd argue that baby's life will be better. But you didn't save it, give it a better life. You saved it because it was impossible to save on its own. I I, I fear that's... In modern Christianity, we have lost the the weightiness of this truth. We've lost the weightiness in our desire to have lists and this and that, and how we talk about salvation, we talk about what Jesus does, and, and in the fact, too, of how we think about what he's done when things are tough in our lives. He didn't come to give us a better life. He came to save us. Because just like that little baby, that's where you find yourselves, before Christ. You do not have the power. I do not have the power. We do not have the power to save ourselves. We do not have the power to reach down and do anything of value without him first. We forget this truth. We, we mix things up and we become just like the people of the first century. Man, I would love to go back. I'd love to get in my DeLorean and find myself right there in the Via Dolorosa and see what happened firsthand in first place. But I'm not too, too dumb to think that I may not be among those yelling, crucify him. Why? Because my heart is, is, is hopeless just like yours is. Without Jesus. Amen? Without the, the, the interaction of him and his saving power and his saving grace, he didn't come to give, give us better lives. He came to save us. I, I fear that if I was there, I might hear my hollow praise on, 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 on that morning on the triumphal entry saying, Lord, save me. Save me. My life is tough. My life is difficult. Look at all this stuff. Lord, save me. I might be among those who then at the end of the week would say, crucify him because he didn't do for me what I thought he was going to do. And here's the kicker today is that when we dedicate our lives to him, he does for us what we think he'll do and more. But the hope doesn't lie in me trying harder and doing better and doing greater and putting this doing and this this. And no, my hope lies in simply Jesus Christ and His power to reach down and scoop up a Steve royalty that without him has no hope, but with him has all hope. Church, let's not let that truth be lost on us here today. Amen. After all, not the righteous who He came to save, but sinners. Sinners like you, like your neighbor, like your spouse. you wish you're like, "Amen, buddy. You know, like your grandma, your grandpa, your kids, and you're like double amen on that one, and yourself. And that truth needs to be told, reflected upon, and appreciated as much as is humanly possible. Because hope does not lie in me and you. Hope lies in him. Would you stand across this room today? Church, as you bow your heads today, close your eyes. We cannot be among the crowd that misses the point. You can hopefully see today, as I have tried so, so, so much to communicate this simple truth, hopefully you can see today how easy it would be, but how powerful and how incredible and how important it is for us to make sure that we understand what he did for us very clearly. And here's why that's important. Because you know in your heart this is true. You've tried, you've worked. You prayed, you've sought, you fasted, and you fall on your face at times, and you say, "God, where were you in this moment? God, what did you do in this moment?" And the truth this morning is this: nothing is more important. Nothing, nothing, nothing is more important than your salvation, than your chance to come to grips with what He has done and understand that you are not—you are not able outside of Him, but in Him you are fully capable, and you are fully able. When you understand that, a whole world of possibility opens up because you've understood the gospel. The gospel is not do this, do these four things and then you're be great because you've tried that and you failed. The gospel is you can't do those things by yourselves. You need Jesus and in him and through him. And when you lay your life before him at the cross where things go to die, then you find freedom. Then you find that you walk away from hope or walk away from from bitterness. You walk away from anger because you have come under his power and his authority to save. And there could be no greater thing in the world than that. This is the week that changed the world because this is the week the world would learn that truth. And there could be no greater truth than that. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You say, well, what does this mean for me today? What does this mean for me in 2017? Whatever that you do and whatever that you are, what does this mean for you today? There's a few things it means today. Number one, it means, first of all, that we need to be thankful. I am learning the simplicity of the of my walk with Christ. Be thankful for what he did. Jesus, this morning we are thankful for that. We are thankful today, Lord, for what you did so many years ago on that old rugged cross. Lord, where your blood poured out and spilled out, Lord, not just to be gross and not just to make a movie, uh, but Lord Jesus, because your blood was needed to be poured out so that our sin could be forgotten and walked away from and made clean and remembered no more. Thank you for that, Lord. And we never forget that. This also means that every person has to come to grips with this message. You may be here today and you say, Pastor Steve, I've not come to grips with this. And Mike, you might have even prayed a prayer at some point in your life, but you have not poured out your heart and said, God, I am sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the things that I shouldn't do. I realize and see and recognize now that I need you, Lord Jesus. And not just to make my life better, but I need you because I need you to save me from my sin. If that's you here today, I want you to raise your hands and say, today, I want today to be the day when I turn that around and I ask him to come and save me. God, I need you to save me. Lord, I need you to, 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 to change me, Lord Jesus. God, I've tried on my own, and Lord, I, I, I know what trying is like, but Jesus, I'm turning my hope upon you, Lord. Five, four, three, two, one. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We're going to pray a prayer today. If you wanted to raise your hand or if you were just shy or or whatever else but God's still gripping your heart today I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me it's not magical it's not some this is only how you pray this is an example of how you pray and I but I ask you today to mean these words before God we're all going to pray today but I want to ask you, if your heart said, that's me, Pastor, and I didn't even I didn't raise my hand because I was nervous, if that's you, I want to encourage you to pray this. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. From this day forward, I will be different. I recognize my sin I recognize my hopelessness without you. So today I turn my hope towards you. Will you come in? Will you forgive me? Will you clean me? Will you make me brand new? From this point forward, I commit to follow you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Heads bowed still, eyes closed. I want you to give some, some praise today. as there, are, there, there may very well be those in this room this morning that prayed that prayer for the first time. Give God some praise this morning because he is faithful. He is good today. Heads bowed still, eyes closed. I want you to really think about this this morning. And lastly, what this calls us to is to lead us to the cross. As we talked about this a few weeks ago, where where things come to die. There's things in my life that, that needed to die. Anger, bitterness, resentment, such as these things. There is those things that need to die in our lives. And today, this message, this heart, this season does what it's done throughout history and leads us to the cross. So that sounds like an old saying. That sounds like an antiquated saying. I heard that growing up, but that doesn't mean anything to me. The truth is it does. It means incredible things. I discovered in my life long ago that I can try hard. I can work hard. I can be very good and religious, and I can be all those things. But it doesn't mean a hill of beans unless my life first comes under the authority of Jesus Christ and his power to save my life. and and for me to walk away from sin and the garbage that, as Paul says, entangles us. If you find yourself entangled today in unforgiveness, entangled in bitterness, entangled in lust, entangled in resentments, entangled in in pride, entangled in in whatever it might be today, I want to encourage you to let today be the last day that you find yourself entangled. Come to the cross. Come to Jesus. Lay it down. If I could have the prayer team come forward today as the band sings, as the band brings this to this morning, I want to encourage you to come forward to an old-fashioned altar and just lay this down. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to look at you. No one's going to make fun of you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to stand with you because there is power when we come to Jesus and lay things down. Amen, Church, the rest of us today, let's spend some time, we have plenty of time, let's spend a few moments in his presence today, thanking him, and thanking him for what he has done. if you need it today, there is hope at the cross of Jesus. Hallelujah.